open house series. And uh, maybe, maybe I'll take a few minutes here just to, just to sum up the open house series as to where we are, and then we'll, then we'll do something a little special here with that. But as we, as we go through this open house series, it's really an interesting time to be doing it, and hopefully as our service progresses, you will see that. But over the last few weeks of our open house ser- series, it's even great to have Steve and Debbie Douglas with us and remind us that guess what? The mission of reaching more people for Christ is not a mission that's just stuck here at Bridgewater or stuck here in Conklin, but rather there are brothers and sisters all around the world that proclaim the hope that we have in Jesus Christ of going and making more disciples, right? That's what Jesus commanded. And that was week one when we talked about the whole idea of open house. Week two brought with it the idea of a front porch, and that's why we do Sunday mornings the way that we do Sunday mornings. That's why we serve coffee, not just so that people will stay awake for the boring speaker. Hmm. Yeah, I meant that for other speakers, you know. You weren't supposed to laugh about that one. Um, But anyway, why we do the things we do are because we want people, when you come into church, we want you to feel welcome. Why? Because coming to church is not always something that is easy for everyone, right? And that week, if you recall, we looked at a passage that was in Acts chapter 15 where, where the early church fathers, where the early church fathers had come together because they thought that men, in order to be followers of Jesus Christ, had to have surgery. They had to be circumcised. And guess what? They determined then, we don't want to make it hard on the Gentiles who are coming to follow God. We want you to feel welcome. That's week two, and that's a porch, the idea of an open house the porch, coming up on the porch and meeting with other people. Week three, we looked at the idea of an open house of being the living room scene. And the living room is where you get together with other people and you meet and you interact with them. And why do we do that? Because we believe that life is better connected. We believe that each one of us in here, that we need a friend that we can hold on to, that we can grab on to, that we can do life with. You know in those moments where your heart is broken, where you are going through difficulties, where someone has passed away, where a relationship has ended, where something just is not going right, that you want somebody that is there with you, that can walk with you. And we believe that groups of believers, if we come together as a group, that you can be encouraged. And that's the living room idea where we break down into smaller groups. Why? Because we believe that we can learn in circles even better, doing life together in circles. And if you recall from that week, if you were here, that that was the idea that be, why, why do we need to do small groups? Because not all of us have an Abigail. Abigail is that woman that came down and saved David from massacring just a family. Why? Because he was mad and he was upset with the results of it. We don't all have that Abigail, and we would not all necessarily listen to that Abigail as she came down and warned us, is this really what you want on your history, Joel? Is this really what you want in your past? She said that to David, and it changed his life, and it changed his direction, and it changed the way things were going. Um, last week, most campuses did the idea of the kitchen. And in the kitchen is where we come together and where you serve together. We have a great group of people who serve here in Conklin, and we are so thankful for them. I am going to encourage you this morning, if you want to hear more about the kitchen message, um, that idea that you would go online and that you would listen to one of the other campuses. Why? Because last week we had our campus our, our campus pastor that was candidating to be the campus here, and he spoke his own message. And you guys that were here, you were blessed to be here and to hear that. But this week, um, as we move forward and, and past that kitchen idea, the kitchen of serving, this week we are going to challenge each one of us in our own walk. But before we get to that, 
Um, as, as Jeff mentioned, and we celebrate, um, well, celebrate is not the right term. We remember this week um, the events of yesterday. And we're reminded of all the people and the way that they serve, the way that they serve others. They serve our nation. People that run into trouble when the rest of us are running from trouble. And one of the things that I just, I, I wanted to do is I wanted to honor, if we have any of first responders, if we have any firefighters, whether you're a volunteer, whether you are a, whether you are a paid uh, firefighter, um, police officers, EMS, first responders here, we just want to say thank you to you. We want to say thank you and recognize, and we are so grateful for the work that you have done. For others of you in here this morning, there are some of you that, that you were part, that, that you remember that day all those years ago, and some of you, you may have signed up to go into the military because of that. All of us, I would imagine, know people who did, who have served in the military during this time, and for each one of us, we are thankful for them. We're going to show a little video now, just as a thank you tribute to each one of you. So thank you to each one of you. I need to plan things a little better. It's kind of hard to get up and speak after that, right? And they're like, what am I doing? Anyway, we're, yeah, I'm going to need more. Um, so thank you so much. And what I want to say is um, watching that right there and being reminded, if you if you... Most of us looking around in here, we know exactly where we were on that day 20 years ago. Uh, we know who it was that reached out to us, or we know what it was that we were watching. And uh, we know the results that took place in our, in our country right after that. We know the unity, even as we talk about it. If you watch anything with the news this week, you listen to them talk about how we were unified as a nation immediately after that. How all of a sudden everything came together and all around, all right, that day... Uh, as a matter of fact, that day, suddenly it was, God bless America. Let's make sure that we are praying for our country, praying for our brothers and sisters. Um, that is what we wanted to be, and it reflected, and it welled up within us. And if you were a church-going individual at that time, you remember this, that that very following Sunday was a Sunday that probably you're there like, wow, I'm, I am looking forward to being in church this week. I want to hear how it is, how is it that our pastor brings healing? How is it that he brings comfort to us at this time? I remember my, my wife and I, we, we, we had uh, just, our, just our oldest son at the time, and looking forward to going to church that week and listening to our pastor. And churches across our country, churches, synagogues, they were full. Why? Because people wanted to come back and they wanted to be comforted and they wanted to hear from, they wanted to just be comforted by those that were their spiritual leaders. And pastors that, pastors that were aware and were paying attention at that time, they knew that. They knew that there was going to be a Sunday coming up that was going to be similar to an Easter Sunday where anybody that has an affiliation with church is going to be in it. And that was true that first week. And it was true of that second week. Maybe even the third week. But shortly after that, and, and you recall this as you went through it, that it started to digress a little bit. And we kind of went back to life as normal. The unification, that may have lasted a little bit longer. And God Bless America came up everywhere. We would see God Bless America when sports came back right in the end of the scene. 
the, uh, the effects of that and the honoring that they had of police departments, right? And the honoring that they had of fire departments and all, and all the first responders. It was amazing across our country to see the reaction as to how everybody responded. And into the midst of that, into the midst of that, growing out of that was a group of men that came and fought against religion. All right? There was a group of men that came out of that movement, and I don't know if we're, or if we're readily aware of it. Most of you may be. Some of you may not be. But they were what we call today the, the new atheists. Sam Harris introduced a book. He, uh, he, ga- he introduced a book at that time that was called The End of Faith. And in introducing that book, The End of Faith, it was a book that he actually, from what I understand, he presented it to 12 different publishers. Now, I am not an author. I have not written a book. Um, I don't know that I can write a kid's book. But anyway, anyway, Sam Harris presented this. And when you present it, for if I understand, when you present to that many um, publishers, it's not going to go well. Why? Because at that time, just within the years following that, the years following 9-11, there was this, there was this welling of love Christianity, but then there was this growing disdain of faith. And then there became this growing disdain of all things religion. And when Sam Harris presented this book, The End of Faith, it was not just, it was not just something that was anti-Islam, which came out of that right away, right? The immediate results of that. But it was something that was a scathing report of religion and the damage that religion had done throughout history. And Sam, uh, and Sam Harris, uh, along, along with Richard Dawkins, Christopher Hitchens, um, they became what was new, part of this new, and along with others, became this new atheist movement. And suddenly these new atheists were calling, God is not great. That was the, that was the, title, of, um, that was the title of Christopher Hitchens' book. The title of um, um, Richard Dawkins was The God Delusion. And these men suddenly became superstars, so to say, on our college campuses. Um, Sam Harris's book stayed on the New York Times bestseller for 33 weeks. So much so, it was so good that he wrote, um, he wrote a letter to, to, a, to a Christian nation because of the response that he received from uh, Christians and a response back to them and another scathing review of them. And yet as a result of this, as a result of this, following 9-11, following the events of that, and then the following years that came from that, what took place? People, they didn't like atheism because when they look at that, that certainly doesn't offer any hope. But they saw some of the attacks on the church and they started to say, ooh, I I don't know that I want to be a part of that either. And a whole group, a whole new group of individuals arose and they're called the nuns. And we need to be careful the way we spell it, right? Um, it's N-O-N-E-S, right? Nuns, not, not as in a nun from a Catholic church or a con- covenant, right? convent there, right? But they, they, became, they became the nuns. And what was it? It was that they, they're not atheists. They're just, we're agnostic and we don't care. And the number of people that, that went from being some people that would say that we don't associate with religion skyrocketed. And guess what, what generation it hit? Under 30. The under 30, I believe it was back in 2012, the under 30s, the, the, and this is 10 years ago, that number had grown to 30% of under 30 people, uh, of those under the age of 30, associated themselves as none. We have no affiliation. Why does Bridgewater do what it does? It does what it does 
because we want to reach a generation. We want to reach more generations. We want to reach the people that are behind us. Just as Steve Douglas said up here, what do we want to do? We want to leave a fingerprint on the people, what? That are around us, that are ahead of us, and that are behind us. Why? Because we believe that everybody spends eternity somewhere. Whether we believe in God or don't believe in God, whether we want to claim that we're atheists, whether we want to say we're agnostic, or whether we want to be a theist, it matters. Why? Because where we are in our relationship with Jesus Christ, why did Jesus Christ come into the world? He came to save sinners. And in so doing that, he came to save sinners. Why? Because everybody spends eternity somewhere. And people matter. So when we step into this realm of the open house, and, and when we talk about Bridgewater, why it is that we do what we do, why it is as a church that we behave as we behave, why it is that people matter to us, why it is that our Conklin community matters to us, why it is that we want you to realize the community that you live in, the community that you are a part of, that the people that are around you, that you can reach out and put your fingerprint on, they matter to us. They matter to God. Pastor Jeff says we're going to be doing something special for the teachers like we do every year. Why do we want to do that? Because we want to reach out and we want to be a part of our community. We want to encourage the teachers. Why? Because they encourage the next generation behind them. And folks, if we take our eyes off of that picture, if we only put our eyes on ourselves and forget to look and see that there is a generation behind us that is apart from God, we are going to miss it. And we don't want to do that. We want those that are behind us to become lovers of God. Why? Our scripture is filled with individuals. Do you know this? Our, our scripture is filled with individuals who were great champions of the faith. And yet just in a few generations behind them came up people who did not know anything of their faith. Take that greatest, one of our greatest uh, um, heroes of the faith, David, right? David, a man after God's own heart. Yes, David, a man with his own issues and his own problems, but a man after God's own heart. Solomon, his son. What was Solomon? Solomon became somebody that was comfortable in his faith. And what happened after Solomon, his son Rehoboam, did things that were despised in God's eyes. That's unimaginable. Just three generations is all it takes. And they suddenly say, we don't know who you are. We want to be aware of that, and we want to be aware of that in our life. So this morning, I am taking a look at a passage. We're going to take a look at a, um, a passage in the book of Luke. And for if you have been in church, if you were part of church, this may be a passage that is familiar with you, uh, familiar to you. I want to encourage you just to uh, go follow along with us here in your Bibles again. Um, if you don't have your Bible, as always, I encourage you to bring it up on your on your device. Um, hopefully, it is a good device there, your U version, whatever it is that you like there. And if not, we'll have most of these passages right up here on the screen for you as well. But in, the, in Luke, it's Luke chapter 8. And one of the things that I want to tell you is, as we, look at the, as we look at this account, the Gospel of Luke, what I, what I want to remind each, each one of us of is this is not just a document that we are looking back at that somebody wrote. Well, we're not really sure when they wrote it. We hope they wrote it maybe four or 500 years after Christ. But rather, we are looking at a document that the author takes time at the very beginning to say, I looked into these things. I investigated, I searched, I talked to the eyewitnesses, I talked to the people that were there. So we are talking, we are reading a first-hand account of somebody that, was, that went back 
and did the investigation of the people that were there. This is not just something that is a document, well, 2,000 years later, I don't know that I... The book of Luke was written so that we may know, so that we can be aware by an individual that said, I have researched it and studied it. Why? Because I wanted to give an excellent report. I wanted to give a detailed report so that people would know these things that have taken place. And he was talking about the things right there in the first century. So when we look at this, the account of Luke, we are getting firsthand knowledge from the people that were there as to what took place. And right here in Luke chapter 8, we're going to take a look at this passage in verse 4. And Jesus is going about, and he is teaching. And one of the things that I want us to know here, notice here, is right here. Well, a large crowd was gathering, and people were coming to Jesus from town after town. Be aware that Jesus grew, drew crowds to himself. People continually came out to hear what it was that Jesus said. Why did they come out to hear what he said? Because they loved what he was saying. There were also other things. Jesus frequently fed them. He healed them. Those are things that are attractional to most people. If you feed them, right, and if you're sick and you can heal me, I will take that. I, I like that idea a lot, right? That, those are good things. Um, let me offer, right, as, as Pastor Jeff said, stay, come back today and meet with Steve and Debbie Douglas. You will get fed as well, right? And some of you are like, ooh, free food, I like that. Others of you are saying, nah, I don't know, what is it? I'm going home, football's on today. I got to sit down and watch. Right? Did we mention that the first Sunday of football? Nobody cares about that, though, right? Wow, that's bad. I thought a handful of us did at least. I even brought my Eagles hat. I was going to wear it up here just to annoy some of you, but I, I'll wait till afterwards and say goodbye to you with it on. That's even better. But, but, but Jesus drew crowds. People came. They wanted to hear him. They wanted to see and be a part of what it was. Sometimes as churches, we can look and we can see crowds and we can say, ooh, ooh well, I don't know about that crowd. Jesus didn't mind. Jesus drew them. People came to crowds. There are some churches that hold back and they, and, they, and they remain small and they say, yeah, if you're doing something and there's lots of people coming and you're creating 70, did you say 70? 70 churches. Well, they must not be doing it right. I guarantee you he's watered down the word of God over down there or something like that. We, right? Right? Isn't that, isn't that the challenge that we face as believers? That's what we face. But yet Jesus, people wanted to come. They wanted to come and they wanted to hear what it was that he was saying. Why? Because Jesus cared about people. As a church, we need to care about people. So as they were coming um, from town after town, he told this parable. A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path. It was trampled on, and the birds of the air ate it up. Some fell on rocks, and when it came up, the plants withered because they had no moisture. Other seed fell among the thorns, which grew up with it and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil. It came up and yielded a crop a hundred times more than was sown. When he said this, Jesus continues, he called out, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. So Jesus is making this comparison that there is a sower that goes out and is going to cast seed. And when that seed, and he's giving the different results of the seed, how some of it, it's just going to get trampled on. It's going to get eaten by the birds. Others, it's going to get choked out by the, by the thorns that are around it. Others are going to find that good seed, that good soil, and they're going to 
grow. And, th- and that's going to be a wonderful thing. And as he said that, he tells the people, those of you that have ears to hear, let them hear. But his disciples asked him, what does this parable mean? His disciples, they meet with him and they're like, Jesus, what are you talking about? We don't get it. What are you, what are you, what are you trying to say? What, what, what is it that you're, that you're presenting here to us? And Jesus goes back and he's going to go through it and he's going to tell them this. He says, this is the meaning of the parable. The seed is the word of God. And when we read that passage, I have it highlighted here for us this morning, because as we read that, the seed is the word of God. I want you to remember John. Right? John, the disciple. John, the one that Jesus loved. What did he say? In the beginning was the word. And the word was with God. And the word was God. You see right here, as we go through this passage, we're going to see that the word, right? The word of God. Oftentimes we hold to it as just our, just our Bible. But I, but I want you to be aware that the word is our living God. It is our living Savior. Jesus Christ is the word. And when it is scattered, there are those that they spit on it and they scorn it and they mock it. And they say, huh, only weak people need a religious Savior to build them up in a world that is just biology, chemistry, and physics. And they don't want to be those weak people. And yet the very God of the universe says that his word is what came. And it is the word of God that is the seed that is planted. So he goes along and he explains it to them. Those along the path are the ones who hear. And then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they will not believe and be saved. One of the things that events of 9-11 remind us of something that we don't really always like to be reminded of. And something that this passage right here reminds us of is something that we don't always like to be reminded of. And that is that evil exists in our world. You see, we would rather choose to just sometimes believe that there's bad decisions, misguided intentions, People that just uh, get things wrong in their life that mess up a little bit. But unfortunately, all the way back to the beginning, in Genesis chapter 3, we are introduced that there is a, that there is, there is a tempter. Here, Jesus refers to him as the devil. Comes along and takes away. You see, we live in a world where evil exists. We live in a world where there is a devil who does not want to see the results of God. Why? Because his life, his, his, his whole being is bent on evil. Those along the path are the ones who hear. And the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. He continues on. Those on the rocks are the ones who receive the word with joy when they hear it, but they have no root. They believe for a while, but in the time of testing, they fall away. What is Jesus given? He's given the example that there are those, you know what, here, there's some, they start to grow up, and yet they fall away as tests come, as trials come, as difficulties in life come. 
The seed that fell among the thorns stands for those who hear. But as they go on their way, they are choked by life's worries, by riches, by pleasures. And they do not mature. You know, I, I sometimes think that's one that I can most easily relate to, right? Some of you, you might think others, you might see others, and you might think this is, this is where, my, this is where my, my son or daughter is, this is where others are. Th- this is one that I, that I can see, right? Because Why? Because are, are you like me? Life's worries sometimes come up, they, they catch you. Sometimes the riches of this world, sometimes the worries of finances, they, they get you and they start to pull at you. Sometimes the pleasures of life, ooh, I like the pleasures of life a lot better, right? We, li- we like the pleasures of life, and they start to grab onto us, and they hold onto us. And as a result, what happens to that, that plant? It does not mature. But Jesus continues on, and he, clo- and he finishes it out with this part right here. But the seed on the good soil stands for those with noble and good hearts, who hear the word, retain it, and by persevering, produce a crop. Steve, as a church, we say thank you to you and Debbie Douglas for the work that you have done. You've produced an incredible crop over all your years of ministry. We are thankful for that. There are many of you in here that have produced a good crop, that you have people around you that you can look at and you're like, you know what? Thank you, Lord. Don't be welled up with pride in our own selves. Don't allow the pride to take our own selves, but rather say thank you, Lord. Thank you for using me in your ministry to just be a tool in your toolbox that you will use, Lord, to do what it is that you would have done in a way that you would have it done. Thank you, God, for using me. You see, Jesus said he he wanted us to know that the seed that fell on good soil stands for those that hear the word, retain it, and they start to grow up. If you've ever planted anything, you're familiar with all of these different aspects of it, right? You were familiar with that, and, uh, and you are ready to go in your life. You go out there, you plant seed, and some of you, you're really good at it. Everything grows. Others of us, not so good. As a matter of fact, weeds come up, right? And we're familiar with that. I want you to know that there's, there's a way that we can look at this as Christians, that, that, that we may fall into one of three categories. Let's jump ahead one slide if we could there, past this next one, and over to that next, there, there you go. And I would ask, what kind of person are you? What kind of person am I? We fall into one of these, one of these three categories, well, there might be more, but right here's three categories that we have put together this morning. One is, are we committed? Are we surrendered? You see, Jesus in that very parable, looks at the idea and he says that, but the seed that fell on good soil, right, it had a good return. It brought forth a bumper crop. It brought about a good crop. Where are we at? Are we committed? Are we surrendered in our lives? Are we full of love for those that are around us? Are we full of love for, the li- for God? Do we not let the weeds that would come up and choke us out, choke us out and pull us down? There is a passage in the Old Testament where Caleb um, says, says these words. Um, it is the passage that is found in um, Joshua chapter 14. We're just, and we'll just jump forward one more to that. There it is right there. Caleb, thank you so much. Look at that. I'm disorganized this morning back there. They keep me going well. Caleb, um, and this is, by, by the way, let me just, I got to be quick because I don't have a lot of time. Caleb was one of the spies that went into the nation, of, that went in to spy out the promised land for the nation of Israel. 
Um, if you were familiar with this story, he came back and he brought a good report. Um, ten of the spies did not. Two of them brought back a good report. And as a result of that, God told the nation of Israel that they would wander in, in the wilderness for 40 years. And they wandered, and they wandered. This is back before David. This is following Moses, right? Following Moses after leading them out. And the, but Caleb, because of his faithfulness, God, these are the words, but my fellow Israelites who went up with me made the hearts of the people melt in fear. I, however, followed the Lord my God wholeheartedly. And we're told there, so Hebron belonged to Caleb and his son. Um, and Kinza, all throughout these days of Joshua, why? Because he had followed God wholeheartedly. But as I mentioned, Scripture is filled with other stories, right? There were other tribes. They did not follow God wholeheartedly. And guess what? They didn't cast the people out of the land. Guess what? There were people in the New Testament that followed right there next to Jesus, and they did not follow him wholeheartedly. And as a result, what, did they, what were they doing? They were the ones that fell away. Why? Because Jesus said, come and follow me. Someone said, it's too much for him to do. What kind of person are we? There are others that become comfortable. See, not only uh, we can be the committed individual, we can be a, somebody that is completely surrendered. Sometimes we become comfortable. We become comfortable in our faith. I know that I am good where I'm at. I believe that Jesus died on the cross and he died for my sins, and that's what's important, and that's what I need to know. But that's okay. And we just become comfortable living in a world going through, not worried about the generation behind us, not worried about those around us, just believing. As a matter of fact, we almost buy into the faith of the nuns. And that faith is this. Hey, 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 your truth is good for you. Just you go and enjoy that. Just leave me alone, and I, my truth is good for me. And we buy into that, and we just say comfortable. I just want to live comfortably, right? That's, that's right there from that, the passage that, where Jesus said that. He said that the seed that fell among the, the seed that fell among the thorns, all right, it, was, it stands for those who hear but go along their way and they become consumed with the worries, riches, and pleasures of life. There's one more category, and this is a category that we want to challenge you on this morning. Non-Christian. Maybe you're somebody that's here, and maybe you're just here as a visitor this morning because somebody invited you to come, and we are so happy to have you. Maybe some of you, you've been coming for a while, and you're like, I, I don't know that I buy into this whole Jesus thing, but I like coming and hearing. I would challenge you. Become a follower of Jesus Christ. You see, the reason I say that is, is look at this passage. This goes back to our Old Testament as well, but look at what Judges says. Look at, look at what we're told here. After that, and this was after Joshua, after Caleb, after all this time back in the history of Israel, the whole generation that had gathered their ancestors among the generation grew up and knew neither the Lord knew what nor what he had done for them. A whole other generation comes along, and those behind them didn't know. And as a result, the Israelites did what was evil in the eyes of the Lord, and they started to serve Baals. In our culture, in Christianity, I want you to know, if Christianity is true, if it is true, it is of utmost importance. Utmost importance. As a matter of fact, the Apostle Paul tells us that. Of first importance, our risen Savior, is Christ on the cross, his death, burial, and his resurrection. If Christianity is untrue, it's of no importance. The new atheists, they've got it right. 
if Christianity is not true, what we do here is a waste of our time. If there is no God, if Christ did not rise from the dead, however, we need to be aware that Christianity cannot be moderately important. We started with there she stands. Over the history of the last 2,000 years, the church continues to stand. Has it taken its beatings? Has it been wrong? You know what? We've been witnesses of a wrong just within the last 20 years. When one of, our, one of the churches covered up, right? When the Catholic Church covered up what its priests were doing. And it turned people's hearts away. Next generation of young people who had been torn apart and beaten down. But it's not just within the Catholic Church, right? It's other churches. We have done things that have been hurtful. Yet, can I tell you this? The church still stands. Why does she stand? Because she has a hope. She has a beacon. And let me make you aware, the church is still the bride of Jesus Christ. It is still the church that Jesus gave his life for. And it is the church that will be presented there in the book of Revelation as a bride dressed in white. All the blemishes, all those wrongs that turn people away. We don't want to be a part of that. We want to be part of the love that gives grace and hope to those around us and to a generation behind us. Be part of the good soil. The good soil. The seed that lands in that good soil and grows up and shares the hope that we have. Open house. Come and join with us here at Bridgewater as we continue to push forward the hope that we have in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Pray with me, if you would, please. God, um, as we close our time, it is a, uh, it's a difficult message, Lord, to be reminded of all that you have done for us and yet not to have our lives changed. And Lord, I just pray that you would be with each one here, that we would be challenged in our lives, that we would desire to be faithful to you, that we would desire to follow you, Lord, in all that we do. And God, if we are steadfast, surrendered, committed believers this morning, I pray that you would continue to work in us and strengthen us. May we not become proud, but may we continue to realize there is work to do, and it is merely the grace of God in our lives. But God, if we are those that are here that are comfortable in our faith, may we be challenged. And may we realize, Lord, that we need to change our lives. We need to be those that will be committed to you in our lives. Why? Because the next generation depends on it, and they need us, Lord. And we want to be faithful to them. And God, I would just ask this. If there is somebody here this morning that is still wondering about this whole Christianity thing, that is still saying, I, I don't know that I believe it, I pray that you would just touch their heart today. And God, I pray that you would change them. If that is you this morning, if you are that individual, one of those individuals that has not trusted Christ, I would ask you where you're sitting to just go to him and say, Lord, 
I believe. I believe that Jesus rose from the dead to save a sinner like me. God, may we stop the comparison of our lives. That, hey, my good works are going to get me there. But instead, may I realize that my good works will never be enough. But it's the work of Jesus Christ. I would encourage you to put your faith and trust in a risen Savior, Jesus Christ. Lord, we say thank you. And Lord, we pray to him who is able to do immeasurably more than we ask or even imagine through the power of the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. We pray this in his name. Amen. Thank you. All right, let's stand together and sing one final song. I will 